Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Todd Williams. Todd is the man who is at the helm of running the offense for the University of Kentucky Wildcats. Um, He's someone who's been around college baseball for several, several years, actually was able to coach with his brother for over 20 years at a few different schools. And he is someone who actually wrote a book that's been very popular. Uh, It's called High Scoring Baseball. Monty Lee actually recommended that I get the book. And so I read the book and I thought, I was like, I got to get this guy on the podcast. He knows so much about the game, not just hitting, but just all around offense, how to manufacture runs. So in this episode, we get into, you know, approach, mentality at the plate, a little bit of base running, Todd's background, and what are some what are some really important values that you should be doing in your own practice if you're a coach. Um, so this is a great episode. I, I learned a lot. I took a lot of notes during this one, and I think that if you're someone who's interested in, in knowing more about how to help your players on offense, that you're going to want to stick around and listen to this one too. So ladies and gentlemen, here is Todd Williams. All right, we are now live with Coach Williams of University of Kentucky. Uh, thanks for coming on today, Coach. I appreciate it, Patrick. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. I love talking offense and hitting. So I, I actually uh, was recommended to have you on the show by, you know, one of, uh, one of our friends, Monty Lee, and he's told me, he's like, yeah, you got to check out his book as well. So I, I went out and, and bought your book. It's called High Scoring Baseball. Bam, right here for all those. They're going to be uh, watching this on YouTube. It's a great book. And, I, and one of the things that um, I ha- have realized now that I've had to do some writing of my own is how much time it takes to, to truly write something good. And so when I was reading this, the first thing that came to my mind was, man, this guy spent some serious time um, putting together this book, which I imagine that is, I assume, correctly. It is. And then I married well. So my wife, who's a journalism major, <laughs> I was a big help. So, yeah. And then, you know, my brother was gracious because I was coaching at the time and it is very time consuming. So he was very understanding. So, yeah. So, I mean, give, can you give all the listeners a little bit of, of your background in baseball? You've been doing this a long time and you're really good at what you do. So maybe just a, a quick, you know, elevator uh, speech type of, of summary of what, where you've been. Sure. Graduated from Eastern Kentucky University. And I got my master's there, coached there for three years. And, um, and then I coached at Embry-Riddle, a little NAI school in Florida, for uh, on and off for 23 years with my brother, which wow. was a real privilege. We were blessed to go to the World Series seven times, lost a national championship. Uh, went to coach at Dallas Baptist in between there, where we played for another national title. Um, and then we uh, followed my brother to Valdosta State in South Georgia, Division Two, So NAI then Division Two. Uh, and then I coached at Western Carolina with Bobby Miranda, who was a college teammate. And we were blessed to win the so- SOCOM. And then Nick Minjone, who my brother and I coached, who's the head coach at Kentucky. Uh, I've been here the last five years. So my funny line is, hey, you better be nice to your players because one day they might be your boss. <laughs> so I've coached my brother. I've coached alongside players. Now I work for one. And so baseball has just been awesome for me, you know, and it's been my life. And uh, I'm just I'm in a really good place. I'm forced to be in the best conference in America. What what is your what's it been like trying to convince your wife to move around, move all over the country? Well, I mean, again, really lucky. She loves baseball. Um, We've just been in great areas. I mean, you know, I haven't been way out in the middle of nowhere and um, just been very fortunate and been at really good programs. And uh, I think part of it is, you know, I've never interviewed for a job one time. So I think. Part of the lesson is if you do a good job, people, people know, right. They'll, they'll, they'll seek you out and then you have choices. You know, one of these days I may not have a choice, but right now I've had choices. So it's been, I've been really blessed. Are there, were, were there certain goals that you've had for yourself as a coach, like to get to a certain level or become a head coach or anything like that? Or is it just whatever is thrown in front of you? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'm goal driven. Um, you know, I, I do, you know, right now, I guess where I'm at is, you know, Kentucky's never been to Omaha. And, you know, I want to be a part of the first team to ever go. And that drives me. And, you know, we want to win a national championship. And 
so that's kind of where I'm at today. I mean, that is an absolute, I think about it every day. Um, you know, I've lost two national championships, so I've never won a national title. Um, I think that's the pinnacle. But I just want to make difference in people's lives. As a coach, I think you serve and you want to make them better. And that's just serving people. That's just where I think that um, that's what I'm meant to do. So if I can do it through baseball, that's, that's, that's kind of my honey hole. So. So you, I know, I know we were talking before we started recording, you don't have to recruit right now at Kentucky, but was there a time where you were the recruiting coordinator at, at one of those schools? Yes. Um, and, you know, my brother and I kind of shared that responsibility for 23 years. So I was on the road, on the phone, um, and I did it at, at Western. You know, it takes everybody. Even now, I mean, I still recruit, but I'm not technically on the road. I do a lot on Synergy and cross-reference guys, but, you know, I'm not on the phone 24-7, you know. Um, and I, I enjoy that part, but it's very time consuming and where I, now I get to do player development. So that's where my true heart is. So I'm just in a really good spot. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about player development. I mean, being in the SEC, um, you guys are getting some really, really good players. What, what is your philosophy, um, on, on developing players? Maybe just one that from the start and when they come in, you see them for the first time in the fall as a freshman. Mm. Well, I think, you know, everybody's different and, I, and you're going to meet them where they're at. You know, we have a general overall philosophy. We have a game plan to win. We don't just roll the balls out. You know, we have in the book, you know, we have four offensive game goals. We have an individual development plan for every guy. It's individualized. So it takes time to get to know them and they have to, you know, you're trying to develop their trust because people that can hit and people in the Southeastern Conference, they ain't going to just roll over and be told what to do. I mean, you, it's a process. Um, for example, Evan White, who's going to be starting for the Mariners, you know, when I came in, he ended up being a first rounder and I was praying, I just didn't mess him up to be honest with you. And so I handled him totally different than I did a freshman. Like our center fielder had never hardly played. So I poured into him and he, he needed that, but Evan didn't need me to be honest, other than a couple times. Right. So you just meet them where they're at. And I think players are pretty smart. They know if you're in it for them or yourself. And they also know that if you have your best interests in mind and you're going to serve them. And I think they respond to that. But they're also going to know if you don't know what you're doing. They'll figure you out in a hurry. So you have to be a master teacher. And that takes time. And, and so that's where I want to be a master teacher and serve those players. And when they have success, boy, that brings a lot of joy to you. When you say master teacher, um, are you talking about more of the mechanics of the swing? You guys going over video? Is it – you explaining what a good approach should be or what their approach should be? Like, could you explain a little bit more about what you're really teaching? Yeah, that is a great question. So we, our philosophy with hitters and with in part how we run our offense is number one, we're going to talk about the game plan. Like how, what is your approach to the plate? And it does vary depending on the pitcher, but we also have a general philosophy. So we're going to hammer that from day one in BP. Then it goes to timing. And then the third component is mechanics. So we don't jump right into mechanics and try to make changes right away. I think you have to video, watch. And then toward the end of the fall, we individualize that program for that guy. So when I talk about being a master teacher, that takes a lot of time to understand approach and game plan. And I told you that earlier, I have three ring binders full of all the interviews that I've had and pick people's brains and wrote notes. And that just takes a long time. And then, you know, timing is a big factor. So anyways, I think that, that's the individual part. And then you, you have to teach offense as a whole. That's to me different. Hitting is one sixth of offense. And so I think understanding all of that, um, I just, I don't know. I just love baseball. I want to know everything there is to know. And then you scale it down for the players. You simplify it for them. Well, that's one of the things I, I do like about your book, uh, High Scoring Baseball, is it's not just hitting, it's not just mechanics. I mean, you go over base running, you go over a lot of different things. I mean, it's completely, you know, where to bat guys in the lineup based off of, you know, what they can do. So there's a lot of really good stuff in there um, that's not just hitting based. Um, when it comes to, to timing, that is uh, it's something I really do agree with you on. It's, it's hard um, to be successful at the plate without good timing. I mean, I mean, you can have really good mechanics and that can allow you to be off time at times, but without consistently being on time, it's going to be tough for you to reach your potential. How do you go about helping players who struggle with timing? Are there certain cues that you use? Um, or is it the generic answer that usually is the right answer? It depends. 
<laughs> well, I, I would tell you there, there are some cues and some generals comments. Like I'll give you one. I'll say that, you know, we pretty much go at handbrake. That would be a general comment. So when the pitcher breaks his hands, every pitcher has got to break his hands. Okay. That's when our load is going to be initiated when your front heel is going to start to come off the ground. Now, the interesting thing is I'll tell hitters that, and they think they are, and I'll show them on video how late they are. So I think you have to go. That's why the behind view or the center field camera view is good because they think they're, you know, getting, you know, I guess what I call up early and they're late. And your swing, as you know, when you're late getting started, your foot will be down late and then your body will rush, you spin, and there's all kinds of bad things that happen. So, you know, what, one of the, the comments that I use is up early, down on time. Up early, down on time. I believe your eyes tell you when to put your foot down. Okay, one, but uh, Jose Bautista is the first person I ever heard say that. He goes, my eyes tell me when to put my foot down. I thought that was fascinating. And I used to teach foot down early, but I don't believe that. I think when your foot gets down early, your body drifts and, and slows your hands down. So I think you get your leg up early, but your eyes tell you when to put it down. So typically, I use that cue a lot. Handbrake um, are some different cues. Now, those again, those are general comments. Um, so I don't know if that kind of gives you an idea of, of where we're at. And, and again, what kind of load do you have, right? I mean, that's another variable. Um, and then Justin Stone, who's really good at body assessment, that impacts what kind of load you have, how your body moves. So anyways, just generally handbrake, up early, down on time. I'd rather be up early than up late. So, Has, has Justin Stone been, been down to do assessments on your guys? He has not. Um, <clears throat> Our other assistant, Will Coggin, has a good relationship with him, so we've been on the phone with him quite a bit. And then I use his website, and my son is my guinea pig, so I have taken him through all the assessments and all that. So that's an area that I'm trying to learn and get better at. So we're going to take all our guys through all the assessments this year. Uh, I was listening to uh, – I forget who it was not that long ago. Uh, man, I don't remember his name in a minute. But he was talking about when he was at the plate, uh, you know, you always hear guys well, expect the fastball, adjust off speed. And for, for this particular player, he was like, I can only think of just doing one thing. I can't, I can only focus on just hitting a fastball or just hitting off speed. Like, you know, trying to thinking one thing and reacting the other. It's, it was hard for him. Do you have a plan or a, a process in place for players on, on what you want them hunting at the plate? Absolutely. That's a great question. So we have special guys that can do that, that can sit fastball and can adjust to an off speed pitch up. Everybody on our team cannot do that. So they learn, and we have uh, a game plan where they either, however you want to phrase it, they sit hard or they sit soft, okay? And they sell out to that pitch. They're 100% committed to that pitch. We've had guys that have been All-Americans doing that. As Springer would say, sit on what you're going to get, not what you want. So if you're paying attention, it's not guessing, right? You are anticipating. And I think 75% of the time you're going to be correct. And – there are, I'd say half our team uses that approach where they anticipate the pitch. And in college baseball, you're going to see 55% breaking balls. So if you think you're getting a fastball every time, there's no way. When we were in the regional finals, okay, playing NC State, Kentucky had never won a regional in 17. I went back and watched the game. They threw 199 pitches. They threw 107 breaking balls. So if you think you're getting a fastball every time, you're just not, not in college. And I know that's a good, but I'm using that If you go up there and sit fastball every time, if the guy has a good breaking ball, you're not hitting both. You know, spring say you're ready for everything, but not on time for anything. <laughs> and so, you know, that fascinates me. I think the more gifted you are, then I call that split rhythm. You're on the fastball, but you can adjust to the off speed. There are guys that need to be single rhythm hitters. You're committed to one pitch and they sell out. And if you, if I'm sitting fastball, and I get it, I think I hammer it. I think if I'm ready for everything and not on time, I'll put it in play, but there won't be any authority behind it. So I think leverage is, again, goes back to your plan. How do you teach uh, anticipating a certain pitch? Because I assume, you know, you have an 18-year-old coming in. He may not know how to do really anything. I mean, he's just a really good athlete. Is that something that you guys will go over heat maps and um, different counts, or maybe you'll watch the game with them? Yes. And, and so let me give you a simple rule. I'll give you a, a rule. So I'd say when you're ahead in account, never behind. When you're behind in account, never ahead. So again, he, is he going to be wrong? Occasionally? Yes, but he's going to be right more than he's wrong. So 
when the count was in his favor, 1-0, 2-0, 3-1, he should never be late on the fastball. Okay? Now, when the count is against him, he should never be early. So that simple rule, for example, changed Luke Heyer's life. Luke Heyer was an undrafted, never filled out one questionnaire in his life. His senior year, he was a first-team All-American, drafted in the fifth round. Because his mind allowed him, because he studied pitchers, watched film, he knew, he anticipated, and he did a lot of damage. And he almost was happy when they explained him a breaking ball. Because he didn't have the fastest bat in the world. They were doing him a favor. So he anticipated based on the pitcher and the count and the situation, which that's advanced. But if you pay attention to this game, you'll, be, you'll get good at it. Yeah, and I think you just hit it right on the head there, paying attention. I think that's where so many kids uh, lack is not actually watching the game. Um, and I think especially with Major League Baseball now back now, right now, um, just starting last night, there's no better time to really start watching the game, not just as a fan, but really watching, you know, when are they throwing, you know, what pitches? I mean, you can go on baseballsavant.com and, and look at, um, you know, percentages that they're going to throw certain counts or th- certain pitches. And I think that's where you can really become a student of the game. When you're, when you're with a, a player and you're talking about individualizing plans, are you going over their heat maps with them? Like, hey, you crush pitches middle in. I did like let's maybe for you just focus on hitting this side of the plate and don't even worry about the outer half until you get to two strikes. Absolutely. And we, you know, we're fortunate. We have all that data. You know, I've coached every level. So you're not always going to have it, but you can sit there and chart that. And no, I think that's part of your job as a hitting coach. You need to know your player's strengths and weaknesses. And more importantly, they need to know that. And so, yes, we have a, we have an individual development plan sheet for every single one of our players. And it has that – it'll show their strength on there. Then I'll tell them where their worst zone is. I'll tell them where their chase zone is. And this past year, this really helped us. We called the low and away pitch this year the man zone. I said, I'm going to come up with a name for it. So I called it the man zone. Because, you know, everybody – what do they do when they start the game? Everybody throws a low and away fastball as an information pitch, right? Like, I'm going to see if you can hit it, and, and then we're going to watch how the hitter reacts. I said – we have to be good at that. So we did this study in the Southeastern Conference to see which teams hit the low and away pitch the best. Vanderbilt won the national championship. They hit 355 in the man zone. 355, that's unbelievable, right? So last that year, our hitters at, at Kentucky, we led the Southeastern Conference in the man zone as a right-handed hitters. But our lefties were, were about 11th out of 14. They, they struggled. So that was an eye. We're like, wow. See, I think – if you pay attention, you chart stuff, you'll figure out about your hitters. So we were doing something right with our righties, but something was really amiss with our lefties. So we had to go back and research that and figure out, hey, we need to work on that, especially with our left-hand hitters. That's a good so point. In BP, That's, yeah. So in BP, we would have a catcher, a manager, on one knee with a glove and sit up in the man zone. That's how we would start BP. Because if you can hit the man zone, I think you got a chance to be a really good hitter. So that's where we started. And so it really helped us. And then it translates into two-strike hitting, right, because you're staying on pitches in that, in that quadrant. And we, we started hitting for – we hit over 300 when they stopped the season. <laughs> so that's, that's what was my next follow-up question, two-strike hitting. A lot mm-hmm. of different philosophies on two-strike hitting. Um, could you explain what, what you believe? Yeah, so I just want to reemphasize. I, I think it's a massive point because when we did that study, it's in the, in the book, the number one predictor – of a big inning in college baseball is a two-strike base hit. So if that's true, then are you spending enough time on it? Because 50% of your at-bats are going to be with two strikes. So we make we, we, we do require our guys to make two-strike adjustments. As a matter of fact, they have a signal that they have to give me. They make a little two-strike and they put it on their heart. And they look at me and they pound it. Because it, it is so important. To me, that becomes a team at-bat. Like you're going to fight pitches off, just put the ball in play. It's a proven fact in the major leagues. If you put the ball in play with two strikes, you bat 300. The problem is everybody strikes out. That's why you hit, you know, you know, less than 200. So we work on it every single day, uh, to your point. Um, because if you're good at two-strike hitting, I think you have a good offense. I think you're tough to deal with. But you have to work on it. It's like everything else, right? So you say you want them to do something different. Is it up to them what that actually is? Or do you need to, as a coach, visibly be able to see something different in their stance? Yeah, that's a great point. And, and sometimes I hate to cookie cutter stuff, you know, because I, I, I think everybody's a little different. 
but we do ask them to choke up. We old school a little bit. And I you, and you have to sell these things. I think that's part of your job as a hitting coach, you know, and, and I say Barry Bonds choked up. So did Pete Rose, those guys, the, the most home runs and most hits of all time. So we're going to choke up and we're going to get close to play, move up in the box. We're going to make those physical adjustments. And then we're going to, our philosophy is see it up, see it deep, simple, see it up, see it deep. And then I'm, I'm always telling them, look, I, I'm going to grade your intent. Like I can tell if you're, you know, see it up, see it deep, right? If you chase the ball down the dirty way early, well, then you didn't sell out on the plan. So that's, those are coaching moments. You have to sell out on the plan. And over time, we'll win. As a matter of fact, in that 17 game, we fouled off 22 strike pitches. 20. Wow. So th- then, it, then that led to maybe a walk, right? So a two-strike foul ball is the third greatest play in baseball. Third greatest because you, that buys you another pitch. In college baseball, they can't repeat it can't repeat it. So that could lead to a walk, right? Which is the second greatest point in baseball because you can't defend it. So a foul ball is big with two strikes. So when we have these games and these competitions, when our guys foul ball off, we, we reward them. That's a big deal. So is it hitter dependent though? Because I assume if you have a guy who's hitting in the middle of the lineup, I mean, this guy can hit 15, 20 bombs, hitting 340, 350, and he's a donkey. He doesn't run very fast either. And you got a man on first. That's got to be a situation where you're okay with him striking out on the outer half instead of putting a weak ground ball in play and now it's a double play. Yes, I think that's a good point. So I think that um, it's to your point, it's all situational and dependent, right? It's just like if you had the bases loaded and less than two outs, I don't want a ground ball. Yeah. And so in the book, we talk about attacking a one, which is the inside part of the ball. So we're and I may I may force the issue there a little bit because if I'm on the one side I'm probably not going to roll over and hit a ground ball right. So again, you have to practice those. Um, but to your point, I'd rather have a strikeout there than a roll over ground ball. And in the book, um, and like I said again, I, I, everyone should be getting this book. I love the visual of just the simple one, two, three on the baseball of where to focus on the one. I think that's a great visual for players because I think so many times. We always we talk about hitting the inside part of the ball, and I think for some of them it's hard to visually see that um, or just understand what what that actually means. So I thought that was that was really good. Yeah, that was really funny. We came up with that when I was working with kids at camp. And the first day of practice at Kentucky, Mins goes, "Quill, this is SEC guys." He goes, "I need you to keep it really simple." I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna try this one, two, three with these guys." They loved it. And I thought, man, they're going to laugh at me. This is the Southeastern yeah. Conference, right? So we would take BP, and they had to call out what part of the ball they hit. So I said, hey, my two favorite words are, are one on. Like, you hit a one, and you were on it, right? And I said, I just don't want to hear a three. No threes. Don't say threes, because then you spun off and hit the outside ball. And they loved it. And uh, so, I, you know, keeping it simple like that's good. Um, I told uh, Colin Cowgill, who's the big leaguer we were talking about, we told him that, right? One time, he goes, hey. He goes, I got it. That's easy. He goes, only the one part of the ball exists. I thought, hmm, that's how a big leaguer thinks, right? They eliminate stuff, and they don't want any noise. They just – his hard focus was on the one, and that was it. So, I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, I know it it is. It is – like I said, that was something I took away that was really good. Now, when it comes to, like, swing decisions, play discipline, is that something that – you just emphasize consistently as a coach and the guys will get better at, or are there certain drills that you do with your team um, or something you say to them to help with that as well? Because that is huge in baseball, huge. And that separates big leaguers from minor leaguers, you know, college guys from, from pro guys. I mean, just all, all over the place. So there's so many guys who can hit a ball 400 plus feet, but not that many you can take, pitches um, especially with two strikes if now we're talking two strikes so is there anything you do um, with those guys when it comes to swing decisions yeah to your point I think it is huge you know and Branch Rickey way back said that you know the difference between a triple-a player and a big leaguer is their ability to to control the strike zone you know they chase and so the older I've gotten the more important that I realized that 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 is and the Mariners think that's number one and and I agree with them I think that that is the most important thing is your ability to what we call now dominate the strike zone. And, you know, I remember Wade Boggs said, you know, my, my hitting zone is smaller than the strike zone. So I don't try to cover the whole thing, right? You, and, and 
The worse hitter you are, you better shrink it smaller and smaller and smaller. The bigger, the better hitter you are, you can get to maybe four or five balls wide that you can do damage on. And then I think you have to know, do I like it up? Do I like it down? But we spend a lot of time on drills, okay? And you can get swing decision off an arm. You can't get swing decision off a machine. Machines are good. I love them. But you can't, you can't work on the most important thing, which is swing decision. So I think you, you can stress your hitters by doing it up close, changing speeds, doing the man zone, right? And we have track man on every inner squat. So we know how many chases they have. And we know where their chase zone is. An average big leaguer chases 21% of the time. So we have a standard. And we judge them based on that. And that's a big deal, a massive deal. And then we try to figure out why do you chase? Is it a mechanical thing? Because I remember Mark McGuire saying, his number one thing in his life was I wanted to see how big and slow I could make the baseball. Well, that goes back to timing, right? So if I make the ball look big and slow, I think I make better decisions. But if the ball looks small, fast, which it did to me a lot, unfortunately, then I think I'd make, you know, bad decisions. And that's what happens with two strikes. You know, if that's why you widen the guy out a little bit, you're trying to slow the ball down, let the ball get deeper. So you make better decisions and don't chase. Right. But to your point, it's massive. I think that is the game. The game is the strike zone for the pitcher hitter. But then again, how do you work on it? And I think Monty does some good stuff at Clemson. Um, we have strike zones every day we throw. I throw to a catcher every day. You know, we start off swing at strikes, take balls, right? Well, you going to kick your guys out if they, if they swing at everything in BP? Or are you going to let them hit? It just depends on you as a coach. What do you want to emphasize? And so that's the most important thing for us. You mentioned um, going back to two strike hitting right there. With two strikes, you you have your guys widen out a little bit, and I, I've heard both. I, I guess maybe it's a little bit different because it sounds like you guys practice hitting with two strikes all the time. But one of the things that I've I've heard and I, I kind of I I definitely understand and believe is guys changing their stance with two strikes. Um, and taking their athleticism away, and they never practice it. So it's now they're really in, a, in trouble when it actually gets to two strikes. That's a good point. You know, they say that Albert Pujols makes no physical adjustments, but he makes a mental, that he lets the ball get deeper. And I agree with that, but I think that's knowing your hitters, right? So depending on who it is, how much do they need to make an adjustment, right? And do they, you know, and and so – it's hard. I mean, I, I guess in college, I think you can be a little more um, cookie cutter, like, cause you, it's a buy-in, right. And it's more of a frame of mind to, to fight battle, put the ball in play, you know, but I think big league hitters are more accomplished. You know, they have better body control. They have better balance. They have better bat speed, generally speaking. And so our guys, and, and, and I think you have to be transparent as a coach, you know, I'll tell them that. I say, Hey, when you show me that you don't need to do that, well, I'll take it off because it's not about me. It's about them, right, and maximizing who they are, and that's that trust factor. You know, they have to believe, and then you give them more and more freedom as they earn it. What about the mental game? Mm. What are your thoughts on that? That's huge. Um, you know, we, we talk about it quite a bit. Um, I think Springer's the best in the world at it. And so, you know, I beg, borrow, and steal a lot of his stuff. Um, you know, walking up the plate with confidence, like he, like he preaches, it's huge. And so I think that's one of our jobs as a hitting coach. You know, I remember, and I can't remember the guy's name, he was the hitting coach for the Yankees, and he would say, hey, every day, and I, this, I'm older, so Reggie Jackson, right, most people have heard of Reggie Jackson, he said it was the weirdest thing. Every day after BP or during BP, he'd say, coach, how's my swing? He'd be like, Reggie, it's awesome. I've never seen it better. Good. Because he goes, Reggie Jackson was that good, but he needed affirmation. He needed encouragement. He needed something positive from his hitting coach. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, our guys walk around like they can defeat anybody because I, that's my job. It's not to belittle them, right? So I pump our guys up all the time. Now, it's not fake. I mean, I'm not going to lie to them, but that's part of my job for them to feel big when they get up there, right? That they're supremely confident. And I think you got to earn your confidence in training. So we train really hard, and I, I encourage them, and we work really hard. But confidence—I mean, every big leaguer—that's what they—that's what they want. And that's part of my job. Yeah, and I think uh, 
one of the things that I see with some players is they, they have to see it to believe it. So they have to see their success before they start to feel the confidence or they, that first at bat of the game determines everything for them, right? If they get, if they get that first hit done, like they're, they're like, let's go. But if they strike out or get screwed on a call, that's it. And I think like those simple things um, really, really separate hitters. Um, in, in my own opinion, I just, I was asked the other day, you know, what, what's one thing that separates like really, really good hitters from just okay hitters. And my, my actual answer was killer instinct in the box. And I think part of that was it is, it, it comes into play with that confidence piece where I, I want a killer in the box. Like I want someone who believes in themselves so much and he was up there to do damage is selfish, a little arrogant. And when I say selfish and arrogant, that could be you giving him um, the hit and run sign, and he's but he's selfish of of getting it done, or he um, or get bunning or whatever it may be. So I think I mean for me, it's that that killer instinct is what separates it. Now, how how you go about getting a guy to have that killer instinct? I, I like your point. I think for me, it's the same thing right now, where it's the competitions and practice really show guys where they're at and like, hey, you either get on board, you step it up, or you're on the bench. Um, what What are your thoughts on on that? Do you think, do you believe that? Yeah, I do, 100%. That's well said. You know, we compete every day in BP. We, we, we keep a chart. We chart every pitch. They compete. Um, and I think you got, you got to get in that mindset that every swing matters, right? And uh, especially when you hit the field. And depending on who you talk to, I mean, we, we, we have some feel-good rounds, but it's very competitive when we get on the field. You know, it's, it's more mechanical-driven in the cages. So I think we start we, – they compete every day, so they learn that, right? They learn the strike zone every day. Um, I think it's my job to prepare them to face velocity. Every day they're going to hit a same-side breaking ball every single day because I think that that makes your swing right to stay on a pitch, right? Um, and then am I working on two-strike hitting every day? Do they do small ball every day? Do we do situational hitting every day? I mean, this is what makes you a good offensive player, not just a good hitter. So I think confidence becomes from the standpoint, hey, am I prepared that I'm not, hey, I've seen 95 before. I've been here, you know, and that's part of my job. So they, they get confidence. I think they learn how to compete. And through that, they, they do start to believe. They still start. And you know what? Sometimes as a coach, you're praying. You're like, man, I hope this works. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. Because, oh, yeah. So they can believe in you, right? And um, so I don't know if that answers your question. No, totally, yeah. The, the killer instinct is awesome to your point. Like, for example, I taught, I had to teach my son how I wanted him to walk up to the plate. And he's, I don't know if he lacks confidence, but he's, you know, he's not arrogant, you know, and, and he's humble. I said, Wyatt, I want you to grab the bat by the barrel and you're going to stroll up to the plate. Because I, and, and, and Mike Trout, Mike Trout says, I own the box. That's mine. You walk in there like that, brother. Yeah. You got to have some, you know, some, some, some posture, posture up. Right. So I had a, a scout tell me that they noticed that about Wyatt. So I was proud of him. Like, okay, he was listening, yeah. you know, <laughs> but sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. But that's part of this mindset to your point about, you know, having some bravado and confidence. I, I don't know if you watched this. I was watching the um, Lance Armstrong documentary um, for 30 for 30. And then I watched the, the Jordan one and followed Tiger Woods and, Man, those guys are different than than everyone else. I mean, even you saw in the Lance Armstrong, and I, I'm not even, I don't even want to, you know, I get he did all the legal stuff, but aside from that, like everyone was doing that at that time, as far as I'm concerned. He even at a young age when they showed video, the confidence, the determination, um, even the borderline, probably not even borderline arrogance that he had, he was so driven even when he started in high school and the same thing with, with Michael Jordan talking about the, on that documentary of how his brother used to beat him over and over. And that's what drove him. And Tiger Woods, it's the same thing. And it's just that, that type of drive. Um, I think it's, it's a, it's such a crucial part. It's something that I'm fascinated with as a coach, because if I know if I can implement that um, and get guys better and maybe not necessarily get them to the Michael Jordan level I mean that's I mean that that is just unbelievable I don't know if you can teach that type of competitiveness um 
but I, but I do think you can improve upon. It. And that's what I was talking to Kevin Euclid about plate discipline. Um, Cause he mm-hmm. was, you know, knew so much about what well, didn't know some, he does know a lot, but his numbers were just really freaking good. I mean, his Twitter handles, the Greek God of walks. So, <laughs> um, and he was saying, he's like, honestly, like don't, try to take a player and and get and expect him to make a huge jump significantly in his numbers right don't if he struggles with um understanding the plate and swing decisions i just try to get him a little bit better just try and get him a little bit better and he was talking to me um at the pro level i don't know if 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 his answer would be different at other levels i i'm not really sure but probably not um but i thought that was interesting too and so i started to take that advice and honestly just focus on getting guys a little bit better at these these types of of things when it comes to their game where being competitive or swing decisions or being less negative um so no that those are those are my um takeaways i would say from from watching those type of, of documentaries on some of the greatest athletes um were you able to see any of those yeah uh, i saw the jordan uh document unbelievable it was yeah. awesome you know and you know, this was interesting. I would add focus to what you were saying. You know, Evan White, who was a first rounder at 17, he'll be starting at first base for the Mariners. My, you know, when I was around Evan, and it was a learning experience for me, that guy's focus was I've never seen a guy focus like that. So then when he ended up being a first rounder and then seeing I go, well, now I kind of get it, right? Like he never took a pitch off, never took a pitch off in practice. Not only game. He timed every pitch. You know how people tell you, hey, you need to. Like the coach is throwing, so so work on your timing, right? Or he did it in flips. He did it, and he and he. The only time I ever saw he would get mad when he would hit, but he only got mad when he swung on a bad pitch. He never got mad if he mishit it. And I thought, huh, that's interesting, right? That is interesting. But you watch you watch these guys that are that's you're motivated, right? And that never take a pitch off, and and understand the strike zone. I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome. I saw it with my own eyes for an entire year. It was awesome. That that's a great. I'm glad you added the focus piece. I completely agree with that. That that's um, that's money. Yeah, I'm glad you did. You mentioned that in uh, in your book. I, I wanted to selfishly ask this question. Um, you talked about a drill where, and I've heard. I've, I vaguely have heard this a few times before. I've never actually though told a player to do it on the field of of hitting a ground ball to the wall and how that that. I think you, I think I, I remember this correctly. Yeah. Like that's what shows you if a player can really hit. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. And you know, um, we call it graduation. So if I'm a right-handed batter, can you hit a power skimming ground ball to the right side of the infield and ha- and, and you could be easy, easier to do on turf. And it would end up on the wall because that means you're, you know, you didn't just slap it. You didn't pound it in the ground. You stayed through it. And we, that's how we start BP every day. We call it graduation. Because if you can do that skill, that leads to everything else. So the way we train is line drive down to the backside, line drive, line drive to center, line drive up to the pull side. And I think that's how the arc of the swing works, depending on the timing of the pitch, right? So as I let it travel. So <clears throat> to me, that's how hits, As you, if you put a stopwatch on balls put in play, Anything over four seconds that's in the air that does not leave the park is probably an out in the Southeastern Conference. So, especially if you go to the backside of the field, you know, in the college level, we're not quite as strong as some of those guys in the MLB. So we train and we overtrain a little bit, but we try and train line drive down, line drive, line drive, line drive up. So graduation is that's how you start your swing. You're going to start with a power ground ball to the backside and then it starts to climb as you bring it around. Well, what's been interesting, and I've been doing this for over 20 years, when I went to Dallas Baptist, I didn't know a single player our first year. We ended up playing for a national championship. Our best hitter could graduate the first day like it was nothing, and he batted fourth because he had really good bat-to-ball skills. He could let the ball travel its proper distance before striking it. Like, he could let it travel and then still put an A swing on it, and it would shoot off his back. Well, a lot of guys, they either go out, you know, they drift toward it, try to slap it, pound it in the ground. Not this guy. I thought, huh, wonder if that guy's going to be our best hitter. Sure enough. So I had a two-time All-American when I was in Valdosta State, hit 23 home runs, but back-to-back years, could graduate like it was no problem. And so if you were to watch Freddie Freeman and BP, it's all over. He graduates all the time. That doesn't mean that 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 
is how he always hits in BP. But your training, this is a training exercise. Can you let it travel, stay above it, stay through it, and then have it end up on the wall? Those guys can hit, man. That's a hard skill. So we say you got to graduate to the next thing. And it's really kind of a source of pride for us. So I don't know if that's what you were referring you don't know, to. No, it was. I think you, you explained that perfectly. And um, okay. I, I completely agree with you. Um, and I like, I like the, the graduation process from one to the other and the, the arc of the swing. Uh, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense to me. What are your thoughts on weighted bats? It's become a little bit something, a uh, hot topic maybe the last few years in baseball. You've been, you've been around hitting coach for a long time. So what, what are you, I mean, are, are you in on that or no? I, I do. I like it. You're going to laugh at me. I'm so old school. Um, we, we used to use pennies on tape. I don't know if you ever put pennies. Oh yeah. On. Oh yeah. And we tape it. Right. And we, I still do it. It's kind of old school and it's just, so, you know, we do drills with those and you know, that's overtraining. And then we do some drills with fungos and I have not, I probably, you know, need to really investigate that more because I've heard, some people get gains off of it and other people have not, you know? Um, so I'm so old school. We use fungos, little league bats, real bats, and then penny weighted bats. So we do do it. And when we swing one arm drills, we use little league bats. So I guess if you're in high school or lower level, not necessarily, you, that's totally affordable. And I'm a big believer in all of it. And I think having different implements, just swinging the bat, just, and hitting different speeds, different, I think it's all good. I love it. So we do um, like we'll swing a fungo with with just your bottom hand because it's longer, right? You got 36 in. Can you control the barrel with something that long on a one arm drill with a low T and see if you can get a backspin line drive? It's really hard. We do it, you know, and then we hit little bats with one arm. So, yeah, I, I love it. You guys at SEC have a huge budget compared to everyone else college baseball and just not even not even needing to, to really utilize it all the time. I love it. Yeah, so, the, you know, and I, that's that balance, I hope, between the old school and the new school, you know, with all the technology, right? And you're trying to, to, to uh, not muddy the water too much and keep it simple for your guys and still use those tools. And I think everything has to go through you as a coach, and then you simplify it back through the players. So. Have, you, have you found that uh, recruits want certain pieces of technology or, or want to know um, what their individual plan's going to be before – they get to campus and, and does that have any effect on their decision? I think it's a great question. Um, it, it varies in terms of the technology piece. I have to be prepared for that kid that's really into that and talk the lingo and be able to address it and be honest with him, what we use, what we don't. They love the individual development plan. They love that because that's an investment in them that you're paying attention. Um, and those guys want to play in the big leagues. If you come to SEC school, right? So you got to maximize that kid. And we, and then I, like, I could show you Evan White's plan. He's a first rounder. Like, wow. How much is that worth? 3.3 million. That's what that plan was worth. <laughs> hey, so you, you sell that on social media. Yeah, yeah, we do. And we put it up there on a recruiting PowerPoint. We're like, well, that one's worth 3.3 million. Well, there's Tristan Pompey. That's worth a million. Right. So you have a track record of training these guys. I mean, Evan White was not even drafted out of high school and ended up being a so we've had 10 All-Americans in the last four years. So you say, well, there's got to be something going on there with how you're training your players. And then you have proof that if you follow this plan, we can maximize who you are. When you're making that plan, does the player – is it a PowerPoint and the player, you just send it to the player? Or is it just on like an Excel file? Like what is or, – or do you just tell them what you want them to do? Yeah, that's good. Well, we, it started as a, as a Word document where I have a template. Okay. And then I ask them questions, you know, like what is one thing you, you struggle with your plan? What is one thing you struggle with your timing and one thing you struggle with your mechanics? Then I want to know their goals. So I, I it, there's a lot of input from, from them because that's when it's going to work the best, right? When they're invested. And then, then we work on then it's going to show their drills that they need to do individually. Cause not every, you know, they're not going to do the same T drills you're going to do. Everyone's different. Okay. And then there's progression there. And then we, then we evaluate them the entire fall on our five identities and I can get into that if you want, but, and then it's going to show all the, all the metrics at the bottom exit below what zone, like where do you, what's your batting average in the man zone low and away? Where's your chase zone? Where's your hot zone? You know, all those things. So we can identify strengths and weaknesses and it's all laid out for them. And they take that home with them during Christmas. 
And then they have a video breakdown that I, they sit in my office and we, and we go over, I want, here's the one thing when you go home for Christmas that you're going to come back better on one. And then, then we're going to modify the plan throughout the spring to keep it fresh because they change. Hopefully they get better and we got to modify it. Right. So that's how, that's how we do it. With each other. It's very time consuming. It's very time. You know, you do that with 20 hitters and I mean, it's, it's probably six hours at minimum on each one. So. And that's something that there's no, there's no way to automate that because it is so individualized and everyone is so different. So I'd love to recommend a way that could help speed up that process for you of, of six hours that we do or, or someone else does, but it's just, it just, it takes what it takes. And um, every guy is just so different to your point. I think my next, uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, I just, I keep coming, having different thoughts coming to my head. Um, I had, wrote a few things down and like, similar to game planning you know once once I actually start everything it just takes a different route and got to make uh, some adjustments but when it comes to players being able to to pick up or see the ball I've seen some I've seen guys go to facilities and use those eye goggles to try and track different balls and it seems a little anecdotal to me but my thought is well if it helps build their confidence up then I, I guess it works um do you guys do any type of vision training or do you think it's too anecdotal and doesn't help? Mm. Uh, good question. Um, we don't do anything specific because, you know, stuff like you can do on your computer and electronic and we've had some guys do it. Um, but there are some drills. You know, I know some guys have done, you know, shoot stuff out of a tennis ball machine, you know, color it, you know, there's all those kinds of things. Um, you know, I do talk about how to read the wrist. A little bit, you know, if, if you can see a lot of wrists, it's fastball. If you can see a little wrist, you know, sideways, it's a breaking ball. And when you can even do that dry, the Yankees do that. Um, you know, I, I have not done a lot. What I have found that helps our guys is just a, the more times you put a ball in play, the better, in my opinion. Like I'm less and less enamored with the tee as I've gotten older. There's a time and place for it. But the more balls in flight, the more times I change speeds, the more times I challenge those guys after they feel good about their swing. That, to me, trains them um, because it's more than just seeing it, right? You have to be able to gauge the, the difference in speed to arrive on time. So that's where we've had success. But I'm not saying if I went down that road, to your point, Patrick, and really looked into the vision training, that it couldn't help us. But I just haven't. Yeah, no. And, and I think that for people out there listening, you know, you – you only have so much time and you only have so many people on the coaching staff. And so you have to pick and choose. I mean, you just, you can't do everything. Um, and you have the NCAA uh, limiting the amount of hours you can work with guys too. So I was just, that was just more of a, I was just curious um, about that question. And um, one of the other chapters in your book talked a little bit about base running. So still offense, but getting into a little bit of a different outside of hitting more of the base running. Remember when I played at Xavier, we tried to implement some of the, the, the jump lead, if you will, like, you know, you shuffle and then and go or try to time up the pitcher. So when he picks his leg up, if you're on first, you're already in shuffling to second and just have that rhythm to go. And um, I forget, I was at Tallarico up at Wright State, um, mm -hmm. did that. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? And then maybe take us through your own base running philosophy. Yeah. I I want to, if you don't mind, Patrick, I'm going to back up just for a second okay. because this is where I think I hope our offense is a little different or in well, the way the book plays it is there are six elements to offense. Okay. Base running being one base stealing being another one. So I segment that. You're okay. okay. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I, so base running one base stealing is another one, you know, you got hitting would be another one and then bunting or, or short game. However you want to phrase that. It's another one situational hitting is another one. And then I think strike zone you know, awareness is another one. And so, you know, every day when we come out on the field, how many of those areas am I going to touch as a coach? So that kind of challenges me, you know, and so are we working on all six? Because I want you kind of like, you know, if you were at a, you know, at a range, are you going to fire one bullet at the target? Or do you want to fire all six? I want to use all six that day, right? Because if I'm facing somebody really nasty, we're not going to get that many hits. So we better not miss a dirt ball. We better take advantage if, if there's an option to steal a base or drop a bunt or move a runner 
right, or control the strike zone. It all matters. So my problem is I think people just work on hitting all the time, and that's all they do. And But then there's five other bullets that they're not working on. So I think we have a holistic uh, offense. So, yes, to your point, the jump lead and all that, it, 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 it matters. The problem is, again, how much time are you going to take to learn that and feel confident and use that? And how many out of your nine hitters can really do that? In the SEC, we have, we'll have two burners. We're talking about two guys that can steal a base against Vanderbilt. They know what they're doing. You can control the running game, right? So is stealing a base important? Sure. But when I look at my total practice time, that's 15 minutes a day is what that is. And so the jump steal, I love it, but I got to be careful. When I was NAI and we didn't have any rules, yeah, we were really good at the jump steal. You know, as we become in the SEC, we're not very good at the jump steal anymore because I, I can't spend enough time with it. You know, so that, I just wanted to kind of lay the groundwork there um, before we got into any real specifics about anything, because I think it all matters. Um, yeah, it, I, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm glad you did clear that part up. Um, I should have probably explained that or asked that question a little bit better, um, because that does, go, that does go back to, again, you, only, you do only have so much time and there are the different elements in the book specifically, you know, base running and base stealing are two completely different things. So. I'm glad you brought that up. When it comes to base running, um, I assume you guys are very aggressive. Um, are you okay with players getting thrown out at second, or is it just situation and player dependent? That's good. Um, yeah, I think we, you, we want to be very aggressive. Um, we, uh, we keep track of that in our squad games. You know, every base you take is huge, right? Every 90 matters. So we have a chart that we keep and, you know, it's a big deal every time you get an extra 90. Right. Um, and so we have some rules in place. Like I'll give you one. Don't live the myth. So Andy Lopez, who used to be at Arizona, he's retired. So I'm a little older. He's at Florida. He's a great coach. He, he won multiple national titles. He said that he goes, listen, as a base runner, don't live the myth. And you're like, well, what's the myth? And I used to live the myths. And the myth is, is that when you get on first, I was so happy to get on base that, you are a cheerleader and you're saying, come on, Patrick, drive me in or get me around the bases. Well, that's not your job. It, that's me living the myth. Instead of me saying to myself, how can I get myself around the bases? Right? So if I think it's my job to get myself around the bases, I won't miss a dirt ball. I might look to steal. I might go first to third on a single. Right? So again, I think it's, it always starts with the mental piece. What's your mentality? I want to have the mentality of a thief. I want to get hungry. I'm fighting for every inch, everything I can do. So if we get the mental part right with our guys, then we start talking about some of those rules, those base running rules, right? Like when do you stretch it? When do you don't? So we have colors. Are we in green, yellow, or red? If we're down by five, we're in red, I'm not going to stretch it. If I'm in red, I'm going to have to make it standing up. If I'm in green, I, it's okay to get thrown out. We're, we're, we're in a, a you know, a all go situation so again to your point the, the score the pitcher catcher dictates everything we do so that that'll determine how aggressive we are and you have to work on that right um but we want to be aggressive and the last thing i'll tell you is you know the worst enemy of a base runner is hesitation if you hesitate that's bad so knowing the rules knowing the scoreboard all that frees you up to make really good decisions before that situation ever comes up yeah, it, uh, opening night, just saw the Dodgers. There was a play at the plate. I forget who it was. Or was it? No, it was, I don't think it was the Dodgers. It was the other game. Um, but there was some hesitation. Got him in a rundown. Boom, out. Just like that. Exactly to your point. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things we, we say to our guys is, and again, you teach them these rules. Like, I was always bad at English, right? There's always rules in English because I wasn't paying attention. So, but there, there are rules. Like, for example, you know, I tell the guys when I used to coach third, I'm not a go sign. I'm not a go sign. I'm only a stop sign. You're running full tilt until I stop you. So if I never did a single thing, you would just score. It's a mentality. So I think that's where, you know, another simple rule we teach our kids in camp. Number one rule of base running. You always have to know where the ball is. You always have to know where the ball is. So you never put your head down. Like we get in trouble. We put our head down. Well, we don't know where the ball is. Or you start to steal third, right? You put your head down, the guy inside moves you. Well, you just violated the number one rule. You put your head down. So I think when you get some of these basic rules in place and you know the scoreboard, the pitcher, the catcher, 
you, you can become a good base runner. Everybody can be a good base runner. Well, I think earlier we were, you were talking about Scott Rowland, and I think he was a, an outstanding base runner. If I remember correctly, that was several years ago, and he wasn't the fastest guy definitely in the world, but he knew how to – I mean, he was a really good base runner, if I remember correctly. He's just a great competitor, right? Yeah. And aggressive, was a really good basketball player. I didn't realize he was that good of a basketball player. But, yeah, he was fun to talk to because you get in those minds of those big leaguers, man. It's awesome. And it was really simple. And I just, I'll share one thing. I said, I said, Scott, what is your approach or plan to play? What do you do? He said, well, when I took batting practice, he said, I hit every ball between the shortstop and second baseman. And he goes, I tried to hit a line drive. He goes, I didn't need rap Soto or Trackman. I know what a line drive is. He goes, I would hit a line drive between the short set every swing, no matter what. He said, then after BP, I would go underneath in the cages and I'd have the coach front toss me and I'd hit everything back through the middle. He said, when I got in the game, I did the exact same thing. I had every ball between the shortstop and the second baseman. I never did anything different. Now, he goes, I occasionally pull the ball or go backside because my time. He goes, but I did not get off my plane. I, I goes, I refuse to do it. And he goes, and I tried to hit line drives. That's what I did. He goes, that was it. I said, okay. Worked. It worked. Yeah, guy was a good player. Simple, right? And those guys, that's what I was trying to teach my son. They're so committed to the plan. They don't change it. They believe it. You can't get them off their plan. That's why they're big leaguers. But what'd you say? Wouldn't you say though that it takes it, it took them fifteen years of playing baseball to figure out that plan and to be committed to it? It took so many different um, different failures in their career. It took so many bad games. It took um, you know them just failing consistently over and over again to realize that what I'm doing isn't working or it is working and that helped them form their plan because I think sometimes as coaches we can we can constantly talk about what we think they need to be doing sometimes for some players it seems they they have to to fail first before they can come on board for sure yeah some guys figure it out sooner than others yeah um I guess what we think as coaches, and this doesn't always happen, that we can speed their learning curve up a little bit. But they don't always believe as much as we, we think they should, right? Like you could you'd be coaching for 50 years, and that doesn't mean they believe you. Yeah. And um, so it just takes time. But I tell you what, we always talk about when you have that light bulb moment, it could change your life. Like you may say that day, hey, I'm going to hit this. My plan is hit the ball right center. And, and you had success then you, that might have been it. That's a light bulb moment. And I think, you know, LeMahieu had that moment. You know, he said he tries to hit every ball to right center. And you, if you look at the spray chart for big leaguers, he hits the most balls to right center. So he's committed to his plan. He was going to live or die by it, and he actually won a batting title, which I never thought was possible for him. So I don't know when he had that light bulb moment, but he did. Yeah, and I think that the, the great point you, you just made there was they are committed to their plan. It's not exactly what their plan is, but the similarity is that they're committed to it. You've, you've been able to talk to, um, seems several big leaguers. Um, you know, you, you guys have produced big leaguers as well. Would you say that most of them, when it comes to their plan, it, it's very, very simple? 100%. It's, it's shocking because you're thinking, oh, my gosh, here we go. I'm going to write this down. It's good. Evan White. Mariners, he goes, I'm an external cue guy because I pick out a, a spot on the batter's eye, and that's where I try to hit the ball. So if you're a sinker baller, you know, he may raise it up a little bit, or if you're a high, four, high spin, he'll lower it. It might be a little bit on the left side or the right side. But, yeah, he needs a target, and that's his, that's his plan. That's it. But, you know, I, to me it's just fascinating, right? Like you just hear like, okay, and I write it down because that might be somebody's plan on our team. And so I have all these, you know, it's like a menu of options for our guys. And I didn't come up with them. It's not my idea. You know, I only took my mom's advice. I asked more questions than anybody in the world. <laughs> and, I, and then I write it down. And so, you know, I'm just not real smart, but I, I, I ask a million questions. That's great. Todd, this has been a lot of fun, man. I mean, we've already been going over an hour. I didn't even really realize it. Um, but again, for those, for those out there listening or, or who are going to be watching this on YouTube, Make sure to go check out Todd's book, um, High Scoring Baseball. It's fantastic. Um, once you start reading it, you're going to realize just how much time you put in and how much great the information is, and it's applicable at all levels. I mean, I'm taking away stuff that 
I know I'm going to implement at the professional level when we get back here um, shortly. So, and I'm of high school coaches call everybody. So great stuff. I love the book and really appreciate you coming on today, Todd. Patrick, it was an honor. I really appreciate it. And um, man, I just love talking baseball. So thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.